I gave you a sheet of paper um, that talked about different interpretations of actually Revelation. And if you do me one favor while I'm thinking about it, write Holman, H-O-L-E-M-A-N across the top of it because I took this from a book, a commentary on Revelation, okay? Um, and so it's not mine. So be sure and write that across it someplace. But something here, there's this thing called post-millennialism, okay? Um, it is a view that basically says that everything's going to get better and better and better and better and better and better and then we're going to have the this thousand-year great reign, and then Jesus is coming back. Um, that was a really popular view of human history and a Bible interpretation until the last century when World War I happened and World War II happened. And we're beginning to rethink, oh, maybe things aren't always going to get better. When I was a kid growing up, I can remember um, kid growing up. <laughs> when I first started at Glenkirk, my favorite verse was Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I wasn't a kid; I was a kid then, I guess. But anyway, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you hope. Plans to prosper you. Plans to give you a hope. Plans to give you a future. That's a great Bible verse to hang on to. God's going to make it great. And then I read the context. It was given by Jeremiah to the people immediately before Daniel and his friends were taken into exile. It's, I'm going to give you a hope in a future, but first, this is what's going to happen. You know, First, this is how things are going to go, and it's not going to be easy. And, and what I love about Kathy is that in the midst of it not being easy, she still keeps her eyes on Jesus, just like Daniel did. You know, in the midst of things not being happy, not being good, in the midst of all of the things that she goes through personally, her family continually looks to Jesus and trusts in Jesus. You know, and, and sometimes, this is not always the case, but sometimes when I look at one's children and see how they respond, you know, it just underlines all the more what's going on in a parent's life. And in the midst of, in a sense, the medical exile that Kathy goes through, she keeps her eyes focused on Jesus. And so, Kathy, thank you. Thank you for being such a great light for Jesus. Thank you. And also, I need to tell you, doing this, what she's been doing this last year, um, I get to stand up and do this lecture, and leaders kind of lead these leaders group, and then there's all these other pieces that happen to get put together, like who's doing devotions and who's doing music and sending out notices for everything that occurs, and Kathy's been doing all that behind the scenes. It's just this thankless behind-the-scenes job, so do. Thank you, really. Um, so this piece of paper that I gave you, um, I, I, there are a couple books of the Bible that I don't particularly like. Um, Lynn, thank you very much, made me look at one of them, and um, that was Revelation. And then the other one, Kathy, Daniel, <clears throat> don't particularly like Daniel. And don't anybody ever get an idea of looking at Ezekiel? <laughs> it's the third one. Here it goes. Um, but this is from Revelation, and one of the reasons why I don't like these books 
is because when you pick up a commentary, everybody kind of looks through through a particular, they try and figure out what's going on in these books through a particular set of glasses. And good people who love Jesus look at these books through certain sets of glasses which cause basically disagreement as to interpret those passages. Um, Revelation of Daniel, very similar in in this. Um, There are basically, um, in a sense, four ways, four glasses one can put on. You can basically look at everything and say, this is already taking place in the past. Everything that Daniel 11 is talking about, for example, has already happened. Um, other people say, no, these are historical events that are all yet to take place in the future. Some people say these are the historical events that took place during the time of Jesus. Okay? And other people just say these are just symbols. Okay? Symbols that point to things, you know, that kind of happen at various times over and over and, and over again. Um, to an extent, which set of glasses you begin to look through isn't quite as bad as, or, or quite as much of a struggle as when you then turn around and try and figure out all of those things based on the second set of sunglasses that you put on top of those glasses. Okay, so you have glasses. Now am I going to look through, you know, a green tint or am I going to look through a red tint or, you know, purple tint? What set sunglasses am I going to put on? And, and that is what one's interpretation uh, is of a chapter in the Bible called Revelation 20. And that is a Bible chapter that deals with what is called the thousand-year rule of Jesus, the millennium. What is that? And when does that occur? Okay. And now everybody has different interpretations of when that is and when that occurs. Okay. So if um, one view... Okay, is what's called the amillennialist view. Okay, um, the amillennialist view basically sees, in a sense, that, you know, you got the three and a half days of Daniel, you know, kind of one of those three and a half days being part of the millennial rule of Jesus, because this is where the three and a half days in the millennial kind of get put back and forth together. When do they occur? How do they occur? What, you know, are they? Can you say this is this and this is that and help? One says that we're presently in the millennial rule of Jesus. Okay, now I'm going to give myself away right off the top here. Um, this says basically the evil age includes ongoing persecution for Christians becoming more intense before Christ's return, which would be the tribulation. Okay, folks, I like that sentence. Then I don't particularly like the next three sentences. Okay, they kind of just, they kind of muddle against each other and there's some things about it I don't like. But then it says, when Jesus returns gloriously and bodily earth, Christians still living on the earth will be raptured. Those already dead will be resurrected. Next will be the last judgment. And all the people will either go to heaven or hell. Okay, um, I'm gonna give you, um, so, and then you kind of have this little chart down at the bottom. You know, first coming of Jesus, millennial rule of Jesus, you know, tribulation, and then rapture, everybody gets caught up to the throne room of God and gets judged. Okay, um, I'm going to give myself away right off the bat. Um, this is really where I stand, very firmly in this camp. There are great Christians out there who don't stand in this camp. Okay, when, For me, when Jesus came and said the kingdom of God is at hand, he was initiating the millennial rule. 
Okay? That is why I can pray and people can be healed. That is why I can pray and demons can be cast out. Because Jesus now rules. At the end of Matthew 28, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I've commanded you, baptizing them, and lo, I'm with you always. See, I think that is the beginning of the ushering in of the millennial rule of Christ. Okay? I can be dead wrong. Okay? I don't know. But that's where I stand pretty firmly. Okay? Um, and so when I look at um, the 11th chapter of Daniel, two things happen. One is I see God continuing to tell me that he's in control. Okay? Um, there are 135 prophecies in that chapter that all came true before the coming of Jesus. Pretty specific prophecies, okay? And in, in a sense, they say, you know, God's in control. You can trust God's word. But I think the other thing that happens to me as I read chapter 11 is because I kind of look through somewhat of this combination of historical symbolic eyes. Part of what I see in Hebrews, in Daniel 11, is that in a sense, History kind of keeps going in circle. It keeps returning, it's repeating itself. The north, the south, the north, the south. You're going to go back and forth. Somebody gets married, somebody gets poisoned, somebody else gets married, somebody else gets poisoned. You know, and, and you kind of have these kingdoms that come and go. And, but each kingdom, each king sets himself up to be the one who is all powerful. And anybody who stands in his way, okay? And especially the fact that God would even begin to evaluate what is right and wrong rather than the king being able to evaluate right and wrong means that the king does not like the covenant people. Okay. And so historically, you know, in a sense, the first 30 verses of, of Daniel 11, we can pretty much put names into two. But also historically, between the time of Daniel and the time of Jesus, you can kind of put these names, you know, this is this person, I can actually accurately tell you who those names are. But at the same time, since Jesus, I can see that same repetition happening over and over and over again. Okay. And, and I think what God is wanting me to say is don't put your trust in political powers. Don't put your trust in nations. Don't put your trust in systems of this world. Okay. Because in the end, they will go away. They will fail. They will not produce what you hope them to produce. I've somewhat told you I'm a little bit of a history major. The reason why Hitler came to power in Germany, very simplistic reason, he promised that the trains would rule, that the trains would run on time in Germany. Okay. Everybody thought, this is cool. Trains running on time. We're going to have some order. We're going to have things that we can depend upon. After World War I, Germany was a very depressed economy because they had to pay a debt to the world for World War I. And so they, Hitler rose up and said, no, we're going to quit playing the debt. The trains are going to run on time, and I'm going to promise you prosperity. And you know what happened? Hitler got elected. And the rest is history. 
Because what did he go after? He went after the Jewish people and he went after the church of Jesus Christ. Okay. You know, it is easy to be deceived. It is easy to put our trust in the kingdoms of this world. See? And that's what happened. You know, I, I love those verses that we were reading. I mean, I don't know if you caught it in Matthew, I mean, in Daniel 11, where it says, and the people felt secure. And the people felt secure. You know, how much do we long for security now? But the problem is, it's deceptive. See? And so when I read Daniel, I read it to see the warnings for my own life now. To not find my security in anything else but in Jesus to recognize that the things of this world are not the things that are going to last. When I read Daniel 11, I read it in such a way as to say, I need to not be surprised when things don't go well. Because there's a conflict that is being waged against the church of Jesus Christ. There are forces out there that want to defeat us. Defeat me, defeat you. To keep Jesus from shining brightly. See? And so I read all of this as warnings about where I place my trust and what I look to. I really appreciated um, what Tim Peck said on on Sunday morning. Um, We are in chapter one. But the problem is I want chapter one to be the whole book. And chapter one's not the whole book. And I need to keep my eyes fixed on chapter two. See, which is the coming kingdom. Okay. Um, so anyway, all millennial has kind of that view. Post-millennial says everything's going to get better and better and better. That was great until Hitler came along and people went, whoops, maybe not. Um, historic... Um, premillennialism says that the evil age is going to get worse and worse and worse, okay? Um, that many Christians are going to become martyrs, that Christ will come to pour out his wrath. Um, there's going to be a terrible war. Jesus is going to come. He's going to rapture the Christians out. There'll be a millennial rule. And, and then he's going to come back again and finally set up his second kingdom, okay? And that millennial rule is going to kind of be a, a time of peace, um, I struggle with this one because I don't understand really where this idea of Christians getting raptured out and then kind of a thousand years of peace and then Jesus coming back. I don't see how that fits in with the rest of scripture. So that's just, that's just me. Okay. Um, the other one is dispensational premillennialism. Okay. And that is probably the, one of the ones that you hear the most about. Okay, when, when we talk about um, somebody writing like the late great planet Earth or something, um, they really end up being, um, in a sense, a dispensational premillennialist. What they, what that group sees is that God deals with the world at different, during different ages in different ways. So he called the nation of Israel and dealt with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And then he deals with the church. 
And then he's going to rapture the church out of this world and he's going to go back to dealing with the nation of Israel. Okay? And that's going to be this thousand-year rule when the nation of Israel will again have an opportunity to receive Jesus um, and to come to know Jesus. And then he's going to come back again and finally set up the second coming. Now, I can give you lots of texts to support this view, some some of which really some of the strongest really come out of Romans 7, okay? And and some of Paul's arguments about the Jewish people in, in Romans 7, okay? Um, I have a struggle with this because I don't see that God deals differently with different people at different times, okay? Um, this is where, uh, yeah, at, at different times, and, and I think that the church has actually been grafted into the nation of Israel rather than God working with us separately, okay? Um, but it is a very commonly held view, okay? Um, this view also has a tendency to really take um, the um, numbers that occur in Scripture um, very literally, rather than symbolically, okay? So, you know, if, you know, I'm gonna take a look at seven days being a week, kind of being a perfect number, three and a half is half of a week, so half of a time, okay? Um, But they're gonna say this is three and a half days, or this is three and a half years, you know, depending upon what what is being, being talked about at different times. I don't know the answer to that. Someday Jesus will return and we'll know. But I tell you, I give this to you, and mainly so that you can understand how people kind of keep looking at these things from different ways and how they interpret things differently, okay? Um, back to chapter 11. In a sense, some people see all of chapter 11, you know, having taken place before the return of Je- before the first coming of Jesus, okay? Or, okay, yeah, or maybe even up until 70 AD when the temple was destroyed after Jesus' time, after Jesus came, um, and in 130 AD, all the Jews are kind of really pushed out of Israel and do not return until 1948, okay? Um, at that time, then, you know, we have a nation of Israel again, but between 19, or between 70 AD or 1930, really, and 1948, the, the Jewish people did not have a nation, Okay, um, so some people see all of these prophecies of chapter eleven for being fulfilled during those time period, during that time period. Okay, other people see, in a sense, one to thirty being very historical between Daniel and the c- coming of the Roman Empire. Okay, um, at the end of you know the first century, first century BC. Okay, and they can historically put names and places, and then I gave this to you last time. The question gets to be, from 30 to 45, in chapter 11, are we still dealing with that historical person, especially the the guy whose name I can never say, who starts with an A, A the fourth, I keep writing in my notes, okay? Um, Some people still look at the last part of Daniel 11 applying to him, and other people say, no, this is a completely separate figure who is yet to come, okay? And so this becomes, with New Testament interpretation, a lot of times people say, this is 
the final antichrist who comes, the final one who comes. Now there's passages in the New Testament that talk about antichrist and antichrist plural, and there's passages that just talk about antichrist or the man of lawness singular. Okay, again, which is it? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, but some people see that second half of Daniel 11 applying really for the one who is still yet to come. Part of the reason is is because there is so much accurate fulfillment between 1 and 30 verses. We're going to point, put names and places on. But then when you get to 30 to 45, we have a difficult time making those prophecies fit A the 4th. Are you following me? Have I just gone like this? Yeah, no. <laughs> Who cares, right? So you have, in a sense, God giving Daniel some very specific prophecies about what's going to happen. God does it. So when it happens, Daniel doesn't begin to question where God is. When things go wrong in your life and you pray for God to do something and nothing happens, how often do you go, God, excuse me, are you there? Okay, I do. And what Daniel's wanted to say is, or what God's wanted to tell Daniel is, Daniel, just because things go bad doesn't mean I'm not there. Daniel, just because people die doesn't mean I'm not there. Just because things happen like they happen on Sunday morning in Sri Lanka doesn't mean I'm not there. I am present. I have told you ahead of time this is going to happen. And so when this happens, stand up, hold your head up. Look to me because you know that I am in control and I am using even this. Okay. In fact, Daniel, and when we get into chapter 12, there is going to be a come a time, Daniel, when I am going to come back and every person is going to be resurrected. One is going to be resurrected to glory and the other to eternal judgment. Daniel 12 is the clearest, the first and the clearest reference we have in the Old Testament of a resurrection of the dead and of a life everlasting that we all believe and hold on to really strongly. But in the Old Testament, this is the first time it is just blatantly put there. And God is basically putting before Daniel, Daniel, you have a choice and the people after you have a choice. Either look to me and hang on and don't give up and don't give in and don't be deceived and continue to act as lights in this world, teaching others about me. And if you do, even if your head is cut off or you are murdered or you are bombed, you will be resurrected to an inheritance that is better than anything you could possibly imagine. So Daniel, hang on. Because someday, those very people who murdered you, who did those atrocities, they too will be resurrected and they will be judged. And vengeance is mine, says the Lord. They will suffer for what they did. Daniel, you have a choice. Either look to me 
or there are consequences to the actions of being deceived. And so, Daniel, what I want you to do is I want you to seal up the scroll. Now, that doesn't mean I want you to seal it up so that nobody reads what's in it. It doesn't mean that there's things in that scroll that Daniel knew that we don't know. Okay? What it means is that the things that I have revealed to you, Daniel, are set, and you can be secure in them. So put my seal on them, because they will happen. What used to happen is when, when you had a, um, you know, a, a business transaction, you would take a scroll, because that was the paper that they used, they didn't have computers back then, you know, and they'd write on it, and they would roll it up, and they'd seal it with you know, the seal of the people who were taking that pledge. But they would have also made a copy of that scroll. Okay, so you can still see what's there. But this is the sealed copy. This is the, you know, the legal copy that they file away. And then this is the copy that we all see. So he's not saying there's more here. There's, he's not saying there's things that are hidden here. What he's saying is that the things that I have revealed to you will happen. And Daniel goes, but Lord, when and how? And God says, you know what, Daniel? You've gotten enough to keep on living. You don't need to know the rest. Live out what you know. Go your way, Daniel, and live out what you know. Go your way and teach others. Go your way and continue to pray. Go your way and continue to be a light in the midst of darkness for me. See, Go about your day-to-day job for me as you've been doing until these things come about. We all want to know. We want to know when I'm all millennial, pre-millennial, post-millennial, or dispensational millennial. We all want to know exactly what's going to happen and when it's going to happen and what's going to happen tomorrow. And, and God's going, you know what? That's not for you to know. In fact, Jesus says he doesn't even know. Only the Father knows when it's going to happen. But if you look at Matthew 24, which hopefully you did this week, it reads very similar to Daniel 11 and 12. There's going to be persecution after persecution after persecution. There's going to be hardship after hardship after hardship. And if you put it up against Revelation, the things of the world are going to go topsy-turvy. You know, um, you know, Revelation predicts basically some of the fallout of things from global warming or from cracks in the ozone layers. Okay, Things are not going to get better, they're going to get worse. God's told us so that we can basically point to God and say he's in control. He told us ahead of time. He's coming back. Jesus says, this is going to happen. But you, you don't be deceived by people who try and convince you that I'm the Messiah. He says, don't be deceived by the systems of this world. But continue to pray. In fact, it's really interesting. In the middle of Matthew 24, Jesus says that Jerusalem's going to fall. It's kind of this telescopic thing. I said, this one thing's going to happen. He says, and he says, but you pray that when the Romans evade Jerusalem, 
and the temple and, and the walls come down. Pray that it doesn't happen in the middle of winter. Pray that it doesn't happen when you're pregnant because it'll be that much harder for you. And it's kind of like God's going, this is going to happen, but pray doesn't, doesn't happen during this time. And you're kind of going, wait a minute, you're in control, but you're telling me to pray. How do I put those two together? And in a sense, this is what God's doing. It's what, it's since what he's been telling Daniel all along, what he continues to tell us. This is going to happen. Evil's not going to win. Evil's going to be all of a sudden dissipate and go away. Nations are just going to fall. I mean, the wall, the um, Berlin Wall, just kind of one day, you know, all of a sudden was gone. Okay? To an extent. You know? He says, all of a sudden, you know, they're just going to, that A, the fourth, just kind of died. Nobody came to his aid. Just kind of died. Somebody so powerful, all of a sudden just goes away. He says, you know, there are these powerful things that are going to just go away because I've decided they're going away and I'm more powerful than they are. But at the same time, your prayers make a difference into the timing and the win and the people involved. You know? and, and, and the two go hand in hand and I don't understand how the two go hand in hand, but they do. And so at the end of Daniel, I would want to say to you, don't always expect that you're going to be saved from the lion's den. You might be because that is the power of our God. But if you're not, God also foretold that there would be martyrs for the faith, but that he is still in control. And that our job is to live like Daniel did in the middle of an exile, in the middle of a world that wants to have nothing to do with God, that wants to have all power into themselves, that wants the present to be all that there is, that wants to stay in chapter one. You live as an exile in the middle of that world, longing for chapter two. And as you long for chapter two, be a person of integrity. Okay. Don't be two-faced. Be like Daniel. Yes, you can be in the world, but there are limits to what you do with the world and what you don't do. Be a person of integrity. Two, be a person of stability. When bad things happen, know that God's in control. Three, be a person of humility. And four, I would say, be a person of prayer. Prayer makes a difference. We see that over and over and over and over and over again in Daniel and in the New Testament. I don't know about you, but there are people in my life who don't know Jesus. There are people in my life who are kind of compromising with the world, who are kind of living half with Jesus and half not. And there's this place where God is saying pray for them pray for them fast, confess, pray for them it makes a difference and remember always that no matter what's going on God is present go back to first slide will you for a minute 
A um, couple of big things. God is in control. God is being challenged. The battle's unseen. Um, blasphemy, kind of basically, people who don't pay attention to God, they can do it. They don't need God. They abandon God. They leave him out. Um, God's people will suffer. Revelation 12 is this whole passage about this dragon and this baby that's getting born and, you know, the dragon goes after the baby that you know, that gets born and the baby's taken up to heaven and then Revelation 17 says that the dragon was so mad that the baby got taken up to heaven that he went after the people who followed the baby. That's us, the church. See? Um, nations are going to fall. It's a pattern that's repeated. Um, it's the church that is the focus. Um, one of the people that I was, I don't know, reading, listening to, talked about the fact that, you know, we read all these things about the kings of the north and the south. Ouch. I'm out of time. All these things of the kings of the north and the south, they're never named. Okay. You don't find Julius Caesar in scripture. Okay. You do find Lydia. She was a seller of purple. You do find, you know, Andrew, the brother of Peter, who's just a fisherman. Okay. You find nobodies in scripture because what God does is God works with the everyday people to bring about his kingdom. See, he doesn't work through powerful forces. The focus is on the church, you and I and everyday people. Um, God will triumph. Let's go to the next one real fast. Um, go to the next one. So this slide, when you get it, just know, is an outline in Revelation 24, or not Revelation, Matthew 24, okay? It basically is showing the exact same thing that we see in Daniel 11, okay? That, and, and kind of the challenge, don't let anybody trick you, don't be terrified, you're gonna be hated. Unfortunately, many are gonna be ashamed and drop out. But God's kingdom is gonna go around the world, people are gonna hear about Jesus. There's gonna be tribulation, when Jesus comes, everybody's going to know it. The power of heavens will be shaken. No one knows the time. But it's going to come as in the days of Noah, when people feel secure, when people are eating and drinking and paying no attention. Here's the challenge. It is very easy to live in the days of Noah. It is very easy to coast. It's very easy to think it's all about chapter one. But Jesus says it's not. There's a flood coming. There's chaos coming. Be ready, which means do the work that I have been given to you. Pray. Be people of integrity. Follow my word. Be obedient. Look to me. Don't be caught off guard. Tell other people about me. Teach other people. Because chapter two is where it really begins. Keep your eyes on chapter two. Let's pray. Lord, it is so easy to be deceived. We don't even understand. We even argue amongst ourselves. But Lord... You tell us that if we look to you and cry out to you, just like Daniel, you will give us what we need for this day. And so that's what we ask. 
that we would have what we need for this day, not that we might live more secure, but that we might be stars that shine for your glory. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word that gives us the confidence that we can trust in you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us the strength to stand in the midst of persecution. And thank you for Jesus and the cross that we might know that when we do fall, eternal life is not about us being perfect, but about us crying out to you because of Jesus, because of his death. We are assured of life. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Have a good morning.